And John chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. John 4, starting at verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him would never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but our word of our God stands forever. always think of them having some very important business to take care of when they're taking off. Well, good morning. It's a wonderful privilege to be here today. Um, I'm somewhat surprised that I'm here, and yet I'm honored. And Barbara and I just returned from India, and there's Barbara. Put your hand up. She's in her beautiful Indian attire. I want to assure you, VJ was and Swarupa were the best hosts in the world. Um, he's, he's definitely a man of his word. Everything he promised us would happen, happened. He said, I'm going to take you to the Taj Mahal if you come. We saw that. It was amazing. Uh, he said, I'm going to 
uh, help you find some silver so you can get that wedding band you've been wanting to get for really cheap, 30 bucks for a really pure silver. And so I got that. He says, I'm going to get you a discount and tailor-made soup, which are very expensive. And he got me that. <clears throat> and he said, there are men and women who've been called by God to proclaim the gospel in a difficult country with difficult circumstances, with idols everywhere. So we saw idols, so, so huge, a couple of idols. They're, they're dedicated to the God of Destroyer on top of this beautiful mountain. Took them 40 years to build it. And the first morning we woke up there on Sunday morning, it was just sort of amazing to me. The first thing we wake up to was Hindu prayers. And I wanted to say to Barbara, honey, we're not in Kansas anymore. And I realized this is the life that BJ faces every day. And these men and women are like New Testament Christians. They're craving the truth. They're trying to get an understanding and, and they need hope and encouragement. And we came to encourage their faith in marriage, but to encourage their faith in the gospel. And so Sunday morning I get up and I share with them how before I came to Christ, I'd given up on life, and I thought, if this is all there is, I've made my deal, I'm done, I've done all I can do, and I made an appointment for death. And the next day, Dave DeHuff with Crew, or Campus Crusade back then, came and made an appointment with me for the next day to share the gospel with me. And so October 29, 1977, Alone in my room, I gave my heart to Jesus, come into my heart, make me the person you want me to be. But I told them the prayer that I prayed before them was, if you're up there, God, do something for me. And they were amazed. The same thoughts that they had before they became believers and how the Lord had transformed their lives was the same way he did it 10,000 miles away in America with me. And here they, here they were in, in India. What was the odds of that? What is the odds of that? What, what, what the coincidence of that is? That the reality is Christ is real. His love is real. His gospel is real. And it's, it's universal for the world. And so we were honored to be there because these 40 pastors and their wives and their potential members that they're going to train came to this conference we couldn't really get pictures of them because they're endangering their lives and they came to us and they heard us and we could see them transform right in front of us they were like eager we we, we've never heard a biblical perspective of marriage coming out of hinduism and testimony after testimony after testimony how God's grace had transformed their lives. One guy in particular got up and said, I've been 20 years, I've been mistreating my wife, and I've been focused more on ministry than my family, and I want to ask her to forgive me, and got on his knees and begged her forgiveness. And so on with the stories. And they were such humble people.
And when I looked into their eyes, I realized we were encountering what Hebrews meant when it said, men whom the world is not worthy of. Because VJ had hosted a conference in North India, and we were over here on the East Coast, and the week before, and by the time we got started, he got word that seven of those ministers have been arrested, and they are still in prison as we speak. I don't know that kind of faith. I don't know how to know that every day that I preach the gospel, I'm risking my life. I'm risking the life of my family and my children. I have the potential to even go to prison. And yet they do it with eagerness, with a peace that you just can't even describe. So we were overwhelmed by them. We were blessed by them. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. Looking at their example, by contrast, in America, not to get down on us, but we know who we are, right? We know what we struggle with, right? Uh, A few years ago, I was concerned about my own personal evangelism in my life. Y'all got to help me with the time. I'm used to black church, okay? (laughs) Bill, I'm counting on you. And this guy was preaching his sermon in 2010, and he, he quoted some statistics, the lack of evangelism in the church. And he said, one denomination did a survey, and I, it, it wasn't ours, but it could have been ours. One, one denomination did a survey on leadership. 63% of the leadership, pastors, elders, and deacons, have not led a stranger to Jesus in the last two years. Excuse me. 89% of the leadership had zero time reserved in their weekly priorities for going to evangelize. It convicted me. 97% of believers, 97% believe that if the leadership had a greater conviction and involvement in evangelism, that it would be an example for the church to follow. LifeWay Research in 2022 said, three in ten unchurched Americans say Christians, a Christian has shared the gospel with them. That's 29% of unchurched America says there's only there's 71, again, 71% that, that has not, no one has ever shared the gospel with. That's, that's on us. The marks of a good church, the marks of a healthy church. We got a lot of good marks, the word of God, prayer, fellowship. And, we, and we're doing that wonderfully here. And, and I believe that one of the reasons God is blessing Trinity Church it's because of the high commitment to missions here. I'm not ignoring that. But on an individual basis, personal discipleship 
God has called his church, he has called his people to be committed to sharing that good news. Sharing Christ. It's the most transformative thing that's ever happened in my life. The, the best thing that's ever happened in my life is meeting Jesus Christ. And then this lady over here. So what is this gospel? Maybe somebody might need to be reminded. What is the gospel? So I came up with a simple definition. Uh, if you don't like it, it's okay. The gospel is the good news about Jesus. It concerns all the things that he has done through his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension for the forgiveness of sins and to give eternal life to anyone who puts faith in him alone. If you want a more exegetical definition, uh, Dr. Sproul said it this way. Today we seek to define the gospel, which is one, excuse, excuse me, which is that what evangelism is all about. Our English term gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion, which literally means good news. In the secular Greek culture, the first century, one who delivered euangelion might be speaking of the birth of a royal heir or a victory in battle or some special person being elected to office. But it's, it's this idea of victory in battle. It's where we get this term. Paul uses this, this analogy of the beautiful feet. We as Christians ought to have beautiful feet. Wherever we walk, wherever we go, we take the good news with us. We announce it. And so wherever our feet tread, people should be expecting something good to happen because we bring in the presence of Christ. You, like a eulogy, we're coming in with something good. Angelion, like an angel, bringing a message. We, Dave was like an angel coming to me. I had made a decision the night before to take my life. And the very next morning... Coincident? I think not. I was the first person he shared the gospel with at Jackson State University when he started Campus Crusade on a historic black campus. He didn't know at the time I would end up three years later being there full time on the campus after he had left. He had beautiful feet. And Sproul explains that this term represents how when the enemy are fighting and, and they, would, they would be off in a distant land and the, and, the, and the city would be waiting on the word did they win the battle and they might be hundreds of miles away and they would send a runner. You ever seen a track star running? And his feet, his heels are kicking up. It's just beautiful to see it when it's smooth. He says, but if there was a, if there was a, a defeat, he, by the time he got there, he'd been running hundreds of miles. He'd kind of be dragging. they go, oh, okay, we lost. But if he came in like this, feet clicking, they were, people would start cheering, just seeing him run. And they would say he had beautiful feet. So suppose goes on to say the New Testament reclaims the common use of the word 
and invested with divine revelation, making the Christian gospel the most important news anyone will ever hear. And it's exactly how Jesus starts his ministry. In Luke 4, 18, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. It was the opening of his ministry. When someone begins a literary device, they'll open something with a statement, and then when they close with that statement, my professor told me that would be an inclusio, so look for all the literary work in between to emphasize what they're starting with and what they're closing with. And when you look at the Gospel of John, it emphasizes the entire message of Jesus proclaiming eternal life for the world. He says, and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the good news. That is one verb in that sentence. Those four words in English is one word in Greek. It's the verb from euangelion. It literally means to gospelize. It's the word we get evangelized from. So in essence, Jesus says when he starts his ministry, the Father has sent me to evangelize. He's our example. He's our model. The good news is I'll be back tonight. If I don't get to finish, you can get to hear the rest of this. <laughs> Jesus evangelized. That's just a profound thought to me. I'm his disciple. I'm following him, and I don't have time to evangelize. It's how he began. It's how he ended. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you, 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 the ones who have really come to faith in me, you who know the revelation of Jesus Christ to transform your life, who has given you the full assurance of eternal life because you have put faith in Christ and Christ alone. And you know that you know that you know if you die today, you're going to heaven. If you can't say that today, let me tell you, Put your trust in Jesus. He's here right now. Receive him right now. He will come into your heart for the asking. But those of us who have received it, he's telling us his last words to his disciples. Go to Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to India, to the ends of the earth. I want to tell you that's not easy. BJ started talking to me a year and a half ago about coming to India. I said, wait, wait, didn't you say they were like killing Christians for just being Christians? Did I hear you correct? That I might get locked up for trying to convert people? Do you know I'm an evangelist? I, I don't even know how not to talk to people without talking about the gospel. You're trying to get me locked up. So no, brother, you're going to train the leaders 
And we will do it in our language much better than you. (laughs) But I wanted to go. But I was afraid to go. (laughs) And and Swarupa said, we didn't believe you were coming. I didn't, but we prayed. And you're here. I'm telling you, taking my wife to a place where I had no ability to know what would happen next. If I had thought about it long enough, I wouldn't have done it. In fact, when I got back, I got more paranoid when I got back than I was when I was there. And it's not going to be easy considering going back. But Jesus said, are you with me? You go. He's not calling everybody to India, but he's calling somebody to India. He's calling somebody to somewhere. He's calling somebody across the street. He's calling somebody to a neighborhood. He's calling somebody to an ASU campus right over there. He's calling somebody to share the gospel on their in their workplace. He's calling all of us to have beautiful feet, a message of the gospel on our lips, a message of grace, a message of love. I, I tell you, one of the most beautiful things that ever happened in my life is the mail lady that brings mail to our house. One morning, she just sounded discouraged, and I asked if I could pray for her, and then I talked to her about the gospel, and she prayed with me right there in front of the house. And these last two Christmases, she's left a Christmas card in, in, the, in the mailbox from the mail lady. Merry Christmas. And I saw her the other day, and she looks peaceful and different than she was before. So John proclaiming the gospel for John, the evangelist, the healthy church has to announce the good news. Now, we do have a passage to deal with, and with the few minutes I have left, I believe I can get started. So what do we glean from the evangelist in the story of the Samaritan woman? I submit to you four things. Jesus had a priority and plan to share the gospel. Jesus trusted God's providence for sharing the gospel. Jesus made sharing of the gospel about people. Jesus clarified the gospel through proclamation of eternal life. Now, verse 1, look with me. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea because he knew trouble was brewing. He departed again to Galilee. Departed again, remember in chapter 2, he was in, in Cana, which was in Galilee, and he was at a wedding, and he performed a miracle there. And then he went back down to Jerusalem because of, of a celebration, a, a Passover celebration. And while he was there, he now, all these things started happening with thousands of people, hundreds of people coming to him to get baptized. Then he decided to avoid trouble. He decided to go back to Galilee. Now what's interesting, the next verse says, 
and he had to pass through Samaria. I love the King James. He must need go (laughs) through Samaria. Now, I want to say to you that he didn't have to go through Samaria, but and 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 there was a this was designed John was emphasizing here something going on special that hadn't been going on because when they went to Cana they went through Samaria and he didn't mention Samaria when they came back to uh J- Jerusalem they went back through Samaria he didn't mention Samaria but now he mentions they have to go through Samaria i submit that he's doing that because Jesus had a priority the the son of god who knows all things he knew what was about to happen in that city with this lady. And he had a priority of, sh- of sharing the gospel. He had already been saying the gospels for the world. He had just ran the guys out of the temple in chapter 2. And he said, you've made my house a den for robbers. You made my house an emporium, a place like Walmart, a supermarket. And this is a place for shopping. And this should be a place where all people can come and find God and pray. And so, and then he, he tells the disciples, he tells, I'm sorry, he, and then he goes on and tells uh, Nicodemus that this is what Jesus said to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him. So now, he takes the disciples on a field trip. They're going to Samaria, and now he wants them to hang out because he's making the point that the gospel needs to expand starting in Samaria and it's going to the world. So Jesus had a priority and a plan to share the gospel. It was not necessary because typical Jews, Jewish time, at that time would go around Samaria and go up to Galilee. They would go either to, on this coast across the Jordan and come back because of the vitriol and the resentment and the hate. So the question for me and the question for you is the gospel proclamation a priority of your life? And I don't mean being loud like me, you know what I mean? I mean being like you. Just Talking to people. Hey, one of the things the survey said from the Lifeway was people don't even explain to people the benefit of going to church. This is why I go to church. This is the benefit. These are the benefits of, of, of knowing Christ and having the assurance of eternal life. You can just talk to people about ordinary circumstances, and we'll see that in Jesus' life because he's dealing with a woman. This woman is obviously alone. This woman is obviously suffering from heartache. She's, she's had four husbands, and he's got a guy that didn't even want to give her respect and marry her. She's probably a single mom. She's coming to the well at noontime, meaning she's by herself because that's not a prime time to go. The hottest part of the day to walk out to this well about a half mile, a mile away from the city, the town, she was alone. When the other women would gather and get water, she was probably talked about and ostracized and ridiculed. And Jesus was there to bring help and hope and healing. How? Because he had beautiful feet. <laughs> How? Because he had the good news. How? Because he was going to explain to her the gospel. 
People just need to hear, how did you do it? How did you come to faith? And we're all educated, most of us, and intelligent. And there's different kinds of education. You don't have to call it a college degree. But we know how to explain things to people. So verse 5, so he came to a town of Samaria and called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now that's thousands of years of history there. And so this separation happened because when the Assyrians came and they attacked the northern kingdom, they came and they mixed among the Jews and the, these Jews who were half-breeds became known as Samaritans and then the pure Jews didn't want to have anything to do with them and they both had choice names for each other and they were, they were battling over the years and they had fought over certain things like the Jews that destroyed their temple and the Jews would call them Samaritan dogs and they would not have anything to do with them. So in the midst of this kind of attention in a, in a racialized society, I don't know if anybody's hearing what I'm saying, he still crossed the barriers. Dave still came to Jackson State by himself. And that's what shocked me. What is this white dude doing over here at the Jackson State football dorm by himself? He's about to get killed. I got to look out for him. And I'm glad he didn't care. Do you hear me? I'm glad he took the time to proclaim the good news to a broken man who had given up all hope. So Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour, high noon. And he's just sitting there, and he sent the disciples away, and he's thirsty, and he's at a well, and it's 125 feet deep, and he has no rope bucket to get water, and he's just sitting there. I think this was a divine appointment. He was trusting God's providence to be at work. When I got to India, BJ had told me he had adopted 10 boys. I couldn't believe it. 10 boys? He has two kid children, a son and a daughter, his wife and him, and then in his house, he has 10 boys. You've never seen more orderly boys in your life, more polite boys in your life. And immediately I knew that they were going to be my friends. And somehow, in God's providence, I knew one of the reasons I had come to India was to share the gospel with those boys, to reaffirm in them faith. And to, to encourage them to make sure that they knew the God who created them, who was their father, who has plans for their life and their future, to give them hope and to strengthen them and to believe that God had a brighter, brighter day for them than what they had been suffering. I don't think it was a coincidence. I think it was providential. So Jesus knew the gospel to be providential. 
Look around you. Who's in your circle? Who needs hope? Who needs encouragement? Who has God providentially put next to you? Who's coming to mind as I'm saying this to you? Pray for them. Ask God to give you three people to pray for. Lord, please give me a an easy way to share my story, to share the gospel, to invite them to something at the church, to connect them with a book, to just befriend them, that I know they need to hear the gospel. So in God's sovereignty, verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, he took the initiative. That's part of gospel sharing. We can't wait. I've heard of an elder saying he'd go out in his backyard and he would read his Bible and listen to classical music. And he knew one day his neighbor would see how good he was and would ask him how to become a believer. I said, it ain't going to happen. How long you been doing that? About 15 years. It ain't going to happen. He took the initiative. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. He talked about something common right there. And so he's doing something out of the ordinary, though. And she brings it to his attention. Verse 8, for his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. So he's there alone. And the woman said, she got, she got good sense. She know what the culture is. She know what the standards are. She know what the rules are. She know what the protocols and the taboos are. The don'ts, you don't do what I'm doing right now. You don't be at Trinity Presbyterian Church as African-American talking about Jesus. Because, you know, we got history. And y'all know what I'm talking about. And I ain't trying to start no trouble either. But the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? I'm a woman. That was taboo. And I'm a Samaritan. And she literally says for Jews, well, John spells it out to us, but Jews do not have dealings with, they do not use the same utensils is literally what the word says here. We don't use the same, you're going to drink from what I'm drinking from? That was pretty profound. And Jesus was like, yeah, girl, I'm thirsty. Give me some water. I mean, if he had been from my neighborhood, that's what he would have done. So for Jesus, sharing the gospel was about people. He didn't care about the racial lines or the divides or the social norms. So in verse 10, Jesus answers her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. People need to know. They ought to know. They got to know Jesus. How can they hear without a speaker or a preacher? And how can they preach or talk or speak if they haven't been sent. If you knew the gift of God 
He would have given you life. Living water. When Dave came to me and he said, God loves you and he offers a wonderful plan for your life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, James, if you believe in him, you will not perish. He gave me literally life. Living water. Jesus says, if you knew me, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. If you knew me, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he be dead, yet shall he live. If you knew me, he who believes in me has, has eternal life. You wouldn't care about my Jewish background. The gospel Please tell me, what color is it? What color is eternal life? What color is sin? But I can tell you in the whosoevers, I can tell you what color they are, the whosoevers. They're Indonesian, Malaysian, Afghanian, Pakistani, European, African, every tribe, every nation. That's the goal of the gospel. I'm so glad Dave DeHuff did not care what color I was when he told me the good news in 1977. Aren't you glad? There's a city called Montgomery. And it's got a racialized history. And it's hurting for the lack of the gospel. I believe Trinity Church, you hear me? I believe Eastwood Presbyterian Church, I believe Young Meadows, I believe Reformation, I believe First Church, I believe we unite together and begin to announce Jesus to this city over and over and take beautiful feet wherever we go in this city and make plans and strategies for announcing the good news and just letting the power of God do what it does, I believe we can transform this city by the gospel and the grace of God because God will use us. Amen goes there. I know it does. And I know I'm in a Presbyterian church. (laughs) Finally, Jesus clarified the gospel through proclamation of eternal life. He had a specific message. He talked about, you're gonna, everybody's going to die. The death rate is 100%. The statistics go on to say that at least twice a month, 57% of Americans unchurched think about life and the purpose of life and would like to have a better understanding of that. So the woman said to him, verse 11, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Like I said, 125 feet or more. Where do you get the living water? She's still in the physical. Jesus has moved to the spiritual. It's our mission to turn the conversations to the spiritual. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and did did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, here's the key. 
Everyone who drinks physical water, everyone who tries to get success in life from materialism, fleshly fame, and all the stuff everybody's going nuts over. And yeah, I like Travis uh, Kelsey and Taylor Swift too. I do too. I think they're cute. But being all that is not the answer because you would thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never, it literally says never, 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 never thirst again, ever, never. It's literally that emphasis. Connection with Christ heals all wounds, all broken hearts, solves all problems. Even physical uh, struggles will be solved on the other side. Amen. Ain't no cancer in heaven. <laughs> Hallelujah. No tears in, in heaven. And so we'll never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring. And it literally says gushing up to eternal life. Gushing up to eternal life. You, you bring life to people when you share Christ. You become an instrument of God in a way that you can't imagine. And I want to exalt you as I go to my seat because I know my time is gone. If you never led anyone to Christ, you've missed out on one of the greatest privileges in your life of the discipleship call that God has called you to. Pray and ask God to give you the message of eternal life on your lips. I shared this with a guy on a plane from Delhi to Amsterdam. He was coming from India. He was living in Canada, and but he was Indian background. And he was saying he was of the seeker group and from the Golden Temple. But he was open to different views. And I got to talk to him about, well, have you ever considered how to know for sure where you're going to go? Because he, he had to admit he had no hope there. But he heard what I had to say. And I'm glad that I got to share this at Promise Keepers conferences, Urbana conferences, in Poland with thousands of high schoolers, Kenya with thousands of high schoolers, and Kenyans, and now in India. But I'm so glad that we get the opportunity to reach out to our neighbors next door. Amen. Pray for me. Oh, Jesus. This is your word, Lord. We pray that you would drive it into our hearts. Make it real for us. Give us faith to believe you. A desire to obey you. Oh, Father, give us those opportunities. Make it easy for us. Father, we're so frail. We're so human. Oh, Lord, just let us stumble into sharing our faith with people and, and, and seeing a move of your spirit in this city. Uh, let it be with us. Use us, Jesus, we pray in the power of your name. Amen.